section three of curiosities of literature volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. curiosities of literature volume three by isaac disraeli of de maiso and the secret history of anthony collins's manuscripts de maiso was an active literary man of his day whose connections with bayle st evremont locke and toulon and his name being set off by an f r s have occasioned the dictionary biographers to place him prominently among their hommes illustres of his private history nothing seems known having something important to communicate respecting one of his friends a far greater character with whose fate he stands connected even de maiso becomes an object of our inquiry he was one of those french refugees whom political madness or despair of intolerance had driven to our shores the proscription of louis the fourteenth which supplied us with our skilful workers in silk also produced a race of the unemployed who proved not to be as exquisite in the handicraft of book-making such were matot lacoste ozel durand and others our author had come over in that tender state of youth just in time to become half an englishman and he was so ambidextrous in the languages of the two great literary nations of europe that whenever he took up his pen it is evident by his manuscripts which i have examined that it was mere accident which determined him to write in french or in english composing without genius or even taste without vivacity or force the simplicity and fluency of his style were sufficient for the purposes of a ready dealer in all the minutiae literaria literary anecdotes curious quotations notices of obscure books and all that superlex which must enter into the history of literature without forming a history these little things which did so well of themselves without any connection with anything else became trivial when they assumed the form of voluminous minuteness and des maisons at length imagined that nothing but anecdotes were necessary to compose the lives of men of genius with this sort of talent he produced a copious life of bayle in which he told everything he possibly could and nothing can be more tedious and more curious for though it be a grievous fault to omit nothing and marks the writer to be deficient in the development of character and that sympathy which throws inspiration over the vivifying page of biography yet to admit everything has this merit that we are sure to find what we want warburton poignantly describes our de maiso in one of those letters to dr birch which he wrote in the fervid age of study and with the impatient vivacity of his genius almost all the life-writers we have had before toulon and des maisons are indeed strange insipid creatures and yet i had rather read the worst of them than be obliged to go through with this of milton's or the other's life of boileau where there is such a dull heavy succession of long quotations of uninteresting passages that it makes their method quite nauseous but the verbose tasteless frenchman seems to lay it down as a principle that every life must be a book and what is worse it seems a book without a life for what do we know of boileau after all his tedious stuff 
desmaizeaux was much in the employ of the dutch booksellers then the great monopolizers in the literary mart of europe he supplied their nouvelles littraires from england but the worksheet price was very mean in those days i have seen annual accounts of desmaizeaux settled to a line for four or five pounds and yet he sent the novelties as fresh as the post could carry them he held a confidential correspondence with these great dutch booksellers who consulted him in their distresses and he seems rather to have relieved them than himself but if he got only a few florins at rotterdam the same nouvelle littraire sometimes secured him valuable friends at london for in those days which perhaps are returning on us an english author would often appeal to a foreign journal for the commendation he might fail in obtaining at home and i have discovered in more cases than one that like other smuggled commodities the foreign article was often of home manufactory i give one of these curious bibliopolical distresses sauze a bookseller at rotterdam who judged too critically for the repose of his authors seems to have been always fond of projecting a new journal tormented by the ideal excellence which he had conceived of such a work it vexed him that he could never find the workman once disappointed of the assistance he expected from a writer of talents he was fain to put up with one he was ashamed of but warily stipulated on very singular terms he confided this precious literary secret to des maizeaux i translate from his manuscript letter i send you my dear sir four sheets of the continuation of my journal and i hope this second part will turn out better than the former the author thinks himself a very able person but i must tell you frankly that he is a man without erudition and without any critical discrimination he writes pretty well and turns passively what he says but that is all m van effen having failed in his promises to realize my hopes on this occasion necessity compelled me to have recourse to him but for six months only and on condition that he should not on any account whatever allow any one to know that he is the author of the journal for his name alone would be sufficient to make even a passable book discreditable as you are among my friends i will confide to you in secrecy the name of this author it is m de limier footnote van effen was a dutch writer of some merit and one of a literary knot of ingenious men consisting of salangre saint hyacinthe prosper marchand etc who carried on a smart review for those days published at the hague under the title of journal littraire they all composed in french and van effen gave the first translations of our guardian robinson crusoe and the tale of a tub etc he did something more but not better he attempted to imitate the spectator in his le misanthrope seventeen twenty six which exhibits a picture of the uninteresting manners of a nation whom he could not make very lively de limier has had his name slipped into our biographical dictionaries an author cannot escape the fatality of the alphabet his numerous misdeeds are registered it is said that if he had not been so hungry he would have given proofs of possessing some talent End of footnote you see how much my interest is concerned that the author should not be known this anecdote is gratuitously presented to the editors of certain reviews as a serviceable hint to enter into the same engagement with some of their own writers for it is usually the de limier 
who expend their last puff in blowing their own name about the town in england des maisons as a literary man made himself very useful to other men of letters and particularly to persons of rank and he found patronage and a pension like his talents very moderate a friend to literary men he lived amongst them from orator henley up to addison lord halifax and anthony collins i find a curious character of our des maisons in the handwriting of edward earl of oxford to whose father pope's earl of oxford and himself the nation owes the harleian treasures his lordship is a critic with high tory principles and high church notions this des maisons is a great man with those who are pleased to be called freethinkers particularly with mr anthony collins collects passages out of books for their writings his life of chillingworth is wrote to please that set of men the secret history i am to unfold relates to anthony collins and des maisons some curious book-lovers will be interested in the personal history of an author they are well acquainted with yet which has hitherto remained unknown he tells his own story in a sort of epistolary petition he addressed to a noble friend characteristic of an author who cannot be deemed unpatronized yet whose name after all his painful labours might be inserted in my calamities of authors in this letter he announces his intention of publishing a dictionary like bayle having written the life of bayle the next step was to become himself a bayle so short is the passage of literary delusion he had published as a specimen the lives of hales and chillingworth he complains that his circumstances have not allowed him to forward that work nor digest the materials he had collected a work of that nature requires a steady application free from the cares and avocations incident to all persons obliged to seek for their maintenance i have had the misfortune to be in the case of those persons and am now reduced to a pension on the irish establishment which deducting the tax of four shillings in the pound and other charges brings me in about forty pounds a year of our english money Footnote i find that the nominal pension was three shillings sixpence per diem on the irish civil list which amounts to above sixty-three pounds per annum if a pension be granted for reward it seems a mockery that the income should be so grievously reduced which cruel custom still prevails End of footnote this pension was granted to me in seventeen ten and i owe it chiefly to the friendship of mr addison who was then secretary to the earl of wharton lord lieutenant of ireland in seventeen eleven twelve and fourteen i was appointed one of the commissioners of the lottery by the interest of lord halifax and this is all i ever received from the government though i had some claim to the royal favour for in seventeen ten when the enemies to our constitution were contriving its ruin i wrote a pamphlet entitled lethe which was published in holland and afterwards translated into english and twice printed in london and being reprinted in dublin proved so offensive to the ministry in ireland that it was burnt by the hands of the hangman but so it is that after having showed on all occasions my zeal for the royal family and endeavoured to make myself serviceable to the public by several books published 
after forty years stay in england and in an advanced age i find myself and family destitute of a sufficient livelihood and suffering from complaints in the head and impaired sight by constant application to my studies i am confident my lord he adds that if the queen to whom i was made known on occasion of thuanus's french translation were acquainted with my present distress she would be pleased to afford me some relief footnote this letter or petition was written in seventeen thirty two in seventeen forty three he procured his pension to be placed on his wife's life and he died in seventeen forty five he was sworn in as gentleman of his majesty's privy chamber in seventeen twenty two sloan manuscripts forty two eighty nine in the footnote among the confidential literary friends of des maizeaux he had the honour of ranking anthony collins a great lover of literature and a man of fine genius who in a continued correspondence with our des maizeaux treated him as his friend and employed him as his agent in his literary concerns these in the formation of an extensive library were in a state of perpetual activity and collins was such a true lover of his books that he drew up the catalogue with his own pen footnote there is a printed catalogue of his library End of footnote. anthony collins wrote several well-known works without prefixing his name but having pushed too far his curious inquiries on some obscure and polemical points he incurred the odium of a free thinker a term which then began to be in vogue and which the french adopted by translating it in their way a strong thinker or esprit fort whatever tendency to liberalize the mind from dogmas and creeds prevails in these works the talents and learning of collins were of the first class his morals were immaculate and his personal character independent but the odium theologicum of those days contrived every means to stab in the dark till the taste became hereditary with some i shall mention a fact of this cruel bigotry which occurred within my own observation on one of the most polished men of the age the late mr cumberland in the romance entitled his life gave this extraordinary fact that dr bentley who so ably replied by his remarks under the name of philolutherus lipsiensis to collins's discourse on free thinking when many years after he discovered him fallen into great distress conceiving that by having ruined collins's character as a writer for ever he had been the occasion of his personal misery he liberally contributed to his maintenance in vain i mentioned to that elegant writer who was not curious about facts that this person could never have been anthony collins who had always a plentiful fortune and when it was suggested to him that this a collins as he printed it must have been arthur collins the historical compiler who was often in pecuniary difficulties still he persisted in sending the lie down to posterity totidem verbis without alteration in his second edition observing to a friend of mine that the story while it told well might serve as a striking instance of his great relative's generosity and that it should stand because it could do no harm to any but to anthony collins whom he considered as little short of an atheist so much for this pious fraud but be it recollected that this anthony collins was the confidential friend of locke of whom locke said on his dying bed that collins was a man whom he valued in the first rank of those that he left behind him 
and the last words of collins on his own deathbed were that he was persuaded he was going to that place which god had designed for them that love him the cause of true religion will never be assisted by using such leaky vessels as cumberland's wilful calumnies which in the end must run out and be found like the present mere empty fictions an extraordinary circumstance occurred on the death of anthony collins he left behind him a considerable number of his own manuscripts there was one collection formed into eight octavo volumes and that they might be secured from the common fate of manuscripts he bequeathed them all and confided them to the care of our des maisons the choice of collins reflects honour on the character of des maisons yet he proved unworthy of it he suffered himself to betray his trust practised on by the earnest desire of the widow and perhaps by the arts of a mr tomlinson who appears to have been introduced into the family by the recommendation of dean sykes whom at length he supplanted and whom the widow to save her reputation was afterwards obliged to discard Footnote this information is from a note found among des maisons papers but its truth i have no means to ascertain in an unguarded moment he relinquished this precious legacy of the manuscripts and accepted fifty guineas as a present but if des maisons lost his honour in this transaction he was at heart an honest man who had swerved for a single moment his conscience was soon awakened and he experienced the most violent compunctions it was in a paroxysm of this nature that he addressed the following letter to a mutual friend of the late anthony collins and himself january sixth seventeen thirty sir i am very glad to hear you are come to town and as you are my best friend now i have lost mr collins give me leave to open my heart to you and to beg your assistance in an affair which highly concerns both mr collins's your friend and my own honour and reputation the case in a few words stands thus mr collins by his last will and testament left me his manuscripts mr tomlinson who first acquainted me with it told me that mrs collins should be glad to have them and i made them over to her whereupon she was pleased to present me with fifty guineas i desired her at the same time to take care they should be kept safe and unhurt which she promised to do this was done the twenty-fifth of last month mr tomlinson who managed all this affair was present now having further considered that matter i find that i have done a most wicked thing i am persuaded that i have betrayed the trust of a person who for twenty-six years had given me continual instances of his friendship and confidence i am convinced that i have acted contrary to the will and intention of my dear deceased friend showed a disregard to the particular mark of esteem he gave me on that occasion in short that i have forfeited what is dearer to me than my own life honour and reputation these melancholy thoughts have made so great an impression upon me that i protest to you i can enjoy no rest they haunt me everywhere day and night i earnestly beseech you sir to represent my unhappy case to mrs collins i acted with all the simplicity and uprightness of my heart i considered that the manuscripts would be as safe in mrs collins's hands as in mine that she was no less obliged to preserve them than myself and that as the library was left to her they might naturally go along with it besides i thought i could not too much comply with the desire of a lady to whom i have so many obligations but i see now clearly that this is not fulfilling mr collins's will and that the duties of our conscience are superior to all other regards 
but it is in her power to forgive and mend what i have done imprudently but with a good intention her high sense of virtue and generosity will not i am sure let her take any advantage of my weakness and the tender regard she has for the memory of the best of men and the tenderest of husbands will not suffer that his intention should be frustrated and that she should be the instrument of violating what is most sacred if our late friend had designed that his manuscripts should remain in her hands he would certainly have left them to her by his last will and testament his acting otherwise is an evident proof that it was not his intention all this i propose to represent to her in the most respectful manner but you will do it infinitely better than i can in this present distraction of mind and i flatter myself that the mutual esteem and friendship which has continued so many years between mr collins and you will make you readily embrace whatever tends to honour his memory i send you the fifty guineas i received which i do now look upon as the wages of iniquity and i desire you to return them to mrs collins who as i hope it of her justice equity and regard to mr collins's intentions will be pleased to cancel my paper i am etc p de maisot the manuscripts were never returned to de maisot for seven years afterwards mrs collins who appears to have been a very spirited lady addressed to him the following letter on the subject of a report that she had permitted transcripts of these very manuscripts to get abroad this occasioned an animated correspondence from both sides march tenth seventeen thirty six to thirty seven sir i have thus long waited in expectation that you would ere this have called on dean sykes as sir b lucy said you intended that i might have had some satisfaction in relation to a very unjust reproach viz that i or somebody that i had trusted had betrayed some of the transcripts or manuscripts of mr collins into the bishop of london's hands i cannot therefore since you have not been with the dean as was desired but call on you in this manner to know what authority you had for such a reflection or on what grounds you went for saying that these transcripts are in the bishop of london's hands i am determined to trace out the grounds of such a report and you can be no friend of mine no friend of mr collins no friend to common justice if you refuse to acquaint me what foundation you had for such a charge i desire a very speedy answer to this who am sir your servant elizabeth collins to mr de maisot at his lodgings next door to the quaker's burying-ground hanover street out of longacre to mrs collins march fourteenth seventeen thirty seven i had the honour of your letter of the tenth instant and as i find that something has been misapprehended i beg leave to set this matter right being lately with some honourable persons i told them it had been reported that some of mr c s manuscripts were fallen into the hands of strangers and that i should be glad to receive from you such information as might enable me to disprove that report what occasioned this surmise or what particular manuscripts were meant i was not able to discover so i was left to my own conjectures which upon a serious consideration induced me to believe that it might relate to the manuscripts in eight volumes in octavo of which there is a transcript but as the original and the transcript are in your possession if you please madam to compare them together you may easily see whether they be both entire and perfect or whether there be anything wanting in either of them 
by this means you will assure yourself and satisfy your friends that several important pieces are safe in your hands and that the report is false and groundless all this i take the liberty to offer out of the singular respect i always profess for you and for the memory of mr collins to whom i have endeavoured to do justice on all occasions and particularly in the memoirs that have been made use of in the general dictionary and i hope my tender concern for his reputation will further appear when i publish his life april sixth seventeen thirty seven sir my ill state of health has hindered me from acknowledging sooner the receipt of yours from which i hoped for some satisfaction in relation to your charge in which i cannot but think myself very deeply concerned you tell me now that you was left to your own conjectures what particular manuscripts were reported to have fallen into the hands of strangers and that upon a serious consideration you was induced to believe that it might relate to the manuscripts in eight volumes octavo of which there was a transcript i must beg of you to satisfy me very explicitly who were the persons that reported this to you and from whom did you receive this information you know that mr collins left several manuscripts behind him what grounds had you for your conjecture that it related to the manuscripts in eight volumes rather than to any other manuscripts of which there was a transcript i beg that you will be very plain and tell me what strangers were named to you and why you said the bishop of london if your informer said stranger to you i am so much concerned in this that i must repeat it if you have the singular respect for mr collins which you profess that you would help me to trace out this reproach which is so abusive to sir your servant elizabeth collins to mrs collins i flattered myself that my last letter would have satisfied you but i have the mortification to see that my hopes were vain therefore i beg leave once more to set this matter right when i told you what had been reported i acted as i thought the part of a true friend by acquainting you that some of your manuscripts had been purloined in order that you might examine a fact which to me appeared of the last consequence and i verily believe that everybody in my case would have expected thanks for such a friendly information but instead of that i find myself represented as an enemy and challenged to produce proofs and witnesses of a thing dropped in conversation a hearsay as if in those cases people kept a register of what they hear and entered the names of the persons who spoke the time place etc and had with them persons ready to witness the whole etc i did own i never thought of such a thing and whenever i happened to hear that some of my friends had some loss i thought it my duty to acquaint them with such report that they might inquire into the matter and see whether there was any ground for it but i never troubled myself with the names of the persons who spoke as being a thing entirely needless and unprofitable give me leave further to observe that you are in no ways concerned in the matter as you seem to be apprehensive you are suppose some manuscripts have been taken out of your library who will say you ought to bear the guilt of it what man in his senses who has the honour to know you will say you gave your consent to such thing that you was privy to it how can you then take upon yourself an action to which you was neither privy and consenting do not such things happen every day and do the losers think themselves injured or abused when they are talked of is it impossible to be betrayed by a person we confided in you call what i told you was a report a surmise you call it i say an information and speak of informers as if there was a plot laid wherein i received the information i thought i had the honour to be better known to you mr collins loved me and esteemed me for my integrity and sincerity of which he had several proofs 
how i have been drawn in to injure him to forfeit the good opinion he had of me and which were he now alive would deservedly expose me to his utmost contempt is a grief which i shall carry to the grave it would be a sort of comfort to me if those who have consented i should be drawn in were in some measure sensible of the guilt towards so good kind and generous a man thus we find that seven years after de maizeau had inconsiderately betrayed his sacred trust his remorse was still awake and the sincerity of his grief is attested by the affecting style which describes it the spirit of his departed friend seemed to be hovering about him and in his imagination would haunt him to the grave the nature of these manuscripts the cause of the earnest desire of retaining them by the widow the evident unfriendliness of her conduct to de maizeau and whether these manuscripts consisting of eight octavo volumes with their transcripts were destroyed or are still existing are all circumstances which my researches have hitherto not ascertained End of section three.